Hey guys, welcome back to another video. It is Clay. Today I'm going to talk about INFJs and what I think they need out of a relationship to truly flourish in that relationship. So just to start things off, I'll say that a lot of this is kind of my own opinion, my own research. It's not peer-reviewed research. It's not really, you know, hard science or anything like that. In fact, I don't think a lot of psychology really is science per se, in that it's repeatable, it's verifiable. It's not quite the same as something like, you know, a scientific theory, like let's say how electricity travels down a wire. It's very observable, repeatable, verifiable. At any point, I can go verify that theory. So with this personality stuff, it's more like a model that helps to just sort of describe this chaos. Is it 100% repeatable and verifiable? Can you say with certain that all INFJs are like this? No, and I kind of think that all of psychology is like that in a way. So going back to the topic, what do INFJs need in a relationship? I kind of struggle with this a little bit, and I've been thinking about it for a while. That's why I haven't made this video yet. Um, the reason why I think it's difficult is because you go on the internet and you research this topic, you will see all kinds of different opinions and even things that are basically contradicting each other. You'll have people that say, INFJs should be with these type of people. And then you'll find something else that actually is the opposite. So here's the ultimate question that I've had for a while. And one that I think I'm slowly coming to an answer on. Should INFJs be with people that are like them or people that complement them? So for example, I might have a weakness and they happen to have a strength that kind of plugs into my weakness. Or is it better to find people that are similar and now you have the same strengths and you can kind of build together in those areas? So guys like C.S. Joseph, regardless of how you feel about him, it seems like some people love him and other people don't like him. He's got these really specific rules on which personalities will work with other personalities. And to be honest, I'm not sure I completely agree with it. Like, for example, INFJ, he says an ENFP is the ultimate match, which I would agree because INFJs go well with ENFPs and INFPs. So those are actually his top two personalities for the INFJ. However, he's got ESTJs as the third type that he feels works really well with an INFJ. But then elsewhere on the internet, you'll find things that say that the ESTJ is actually the worst personality for an INFJ, almost like calls it like a conflictor type. So, you know, who is right here? So if you're an extroverted feeler, like an INFJ, should you match up with another extroverted feeler or should you go with an introverted feeler? So then their introverted feeling and your extroverted feeling kind of plugs together. C.S. Joseph would say, yes, that's what you should do. But at the same time, I could see how two extroverted feelers almost can like take care of each other and they both really care about social harmony. And I feel like there's other strengths that would come out of that. Or let's say that you really like to plan. Should you be with somebody who also likes to plan so that you kind of both create plans together? Or should you be with somebody who's super spontaneous to kind of pull you out of your plan now and then? So regardless of those questions, I've really tried to lock down what I think an INFJ needs in a relationship. And I think it's actually pretty specific. And I think there's some things that are really important that a lot of people overlook. Like if I would have known this stuff, when I was like 19, you know, I think that could have been really helpful, you know, as I chose my relationships and ultimately chose the person that I was going to marry. So here we go. The main things an INFJ needs in a romantic relationship. So number one, good communication. 
And that might sound obvious or cliche, but the reality is I think a lot of relationships out there don't even have basic communication. Without good communication, you don't really have a relationship. And why is that? I think with good communication, you can pretty much fix any problem. It's kind of like a bug in a system, a computer system. This is a programming reference that I realize maybe nobody's going to relate to. But when you're programming, you have all these problems in your code and you're gonna find these bugs. So, you know, you have to be able to find those bugs and fix them. Otherwise, your program's not gonna work. Relationships are like that. There's gonna be little bugs and little things that you need to work on and if you don't have communication, you can't even get to this stuff. Like you can't even address those issues. So communication, really important. So what does good communication look like? I think at the root of it, it's somebody that understands what you're saying without too much effort. So I say some words to somebody and they understand at least what I'm saying. They might not agree with me, but at least they understand. And that's actually a hard thing to find. I think that there's very few people that in this world that really seem to understand me at all. I will say some things and they will think I said something else or they will ignore what I said and assume that I said something else. So finding somebody that even understands what you're saying in the first place is rare, but I think it's really important for a romantic relationship. I don't think that we should compromise on that. So going on from there, after they've understood you, understood what you're saying, um, they take that further to almost accept what you're saying and trust you. So if you're saying something, they're not just going to immediately assume you're lying. Um, they're skeptical of you. So moving on from acceptance and trust, you need somebody who can admit when they're wrong. If you end up with somebody who can't admit they were wrong, like for example, a lot of people who I would put on the spectrum of narcissistic personality disorder or narcissists, they generally can't admit they were wrong. They don't admit they were wrong. That's actually one of the biggest signs of a narcissist. Cannot admit when they're wrong. You need somebody who can admit when they're wrong. But you also need somebody who can point out when you're wrong. And you have to be self-aware enough to listen to them and admit when you're wrong. If both parties just sit there rigid, you know, it just gets swept under the rug. And that is basically, I think, the worst case scenario for an INFJ. You're with somebody that you can never solve problems with. It just constantly gets rug swept. It's like, oh, here's a big problem. Let's not talk about that. Let's put it under the rug. And then it might pop up again, you know, months later. And this time it's bigger and more aggravating because it's just, it won't go away. And these problems go on forever. And it's just wasting unnecessary energy I think, in us. You really don't want to be wasting energy. So, I mean, ideally you can be with somebody who is supportive to you and not like stealing your energy, I guess. So number two would be somebody that accepts you for who you are and isn't trying to change you into something else. Like, let's say the core of who you are, they don't like that and they're going to try to make you into something else. That's a bad situation. You know, it's one thing to have little intricacies or quirks that, or, you know, habits, and somebody wants to change some of those things, and, and that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, you know, like the core of who you are, how you relate to the world, and this person's like, you know what, I'm gonna make you my project, and I'm gonna try to change that. So part of acceptance as well is validation. I think INFJs really need to be validated. I think because a lot of times, we have such countercultural minds and we're, we're kind of going through life with a lot of ideas in our heads that don't really often 
you know, people don't really seem to get. And so if you have sort of low self-confidence, you can start to wonder, you know, if you're crazy or you're wrong. So when you can find somebody who validates you, that can be such a blessing. So along with that is somebody who then begins to anticipate you. They really understand your quirks and your strengths and your weaknesses, and they might know when you need some validation or they might know when you need some help before you even do. And this person, like, wholly accepts you and understands you. And if you can find a person like that, like it is such a breath of fresh air at times, they can almost anticipate your needs before you even know them. So number three is a big one. And that is finding somebody who wants to hear about all your thoughts and ideas. So INFJs lead with introverted intuition. And that really means that we have this very mysterious thing going on inside of our heads. It's very internal to our heads. We have all these ideas, theories, you know, plans, goals. We're trying to like sift through all this noise basically that's going on to come to these conclusions. And it really helps if you have somebody that you trust that you can talk about this stuff with. So most INFJs I know, they want to talk about their thoughts and ideas. I think more self-conscious INFJs or, you know, more unhealthy ones might keep all this inside them and kind of shut off to the world. But a healthy INFJ wants to talk about their thoughts and ideas. So if you have somebody that's, you know, doing life along with you that wants to talk about these things and kind of helps you sort these things out, especially if this person is, you know, as intelligent as you are or even more intelligent or intelligent in some other way and can offer perspectives and ideas back to you. You know, like sometimes somebody might just listen to you and that's a nice thing, right? Let's say... They don't completely get it, but they listen to you. So you feel like, oh, this person's listening to me and they understand me. But that can be taken a step further to where they like give you some pushback or they give you some ideas back or they ask questions about your thoughts and ideas. And it kind of helps you in your intuitive process to kind of drill down those ideas into, you know, more concrete theories. One weakness of INFJs is extroverted thinking usually we're not that good at it. We're very strong at introverted thinking, which is like logic-based activities inside of our own brain. Like here, we, we have this information, you know, if this, um, then this, therefore this. Whereas extroverted thinking is more collecting facts and data from external sources and listening to what all these other people have to say and what they think about things. So if you can find somebody who can offer you that stuff, like you might just be sitting there in your own head trying to work something out. And then, you know, that's what the NITI loop is. So that's introverted intuition, introverted thinking loop. And INFJs have a tendency to get stuck in this. You're just sort of ruminating inside your mind over and over about this, these concepts, but you can't really solve the puzzle because you don't have enough information. So if you have somebody that comes along and offers you, you know, new information, new ideas, new thoughts that kind of you can then grab and put that into the puzzle to kind of solve that puzzle, you know, that can be super healthy for an INFJ. So that's why somebody who's like intelligent enough to understand and then give you ideas back, I think that's really awesome. So I think by definition, INFJs are going to have a lot of people in their lives that don't like to talk about the things that they like to talk about. They don't like to think about the things they like to think about. So I think a lot of INFJs can end up with a bit of a complex, that they're almost self-conscious or that people don't want to hear about their thoughts and ideas. 
especially if you grew up in a family where you know people don't value stuff like that, and you say things and people just look at you like you're crazy, like why are you thinking about that? I'm trying to do this concrete thing in the real world right now, and you're talking about you know fixing global hunger or something like this. A lot of people, I think, are almost turned off by the INFJ doing that. If you are with that kind of a person, especially if your parents, your family, you might go off into a bit of a, a shutdown mode. And it's even something still that I'm still trying to get over. So I've talked about my separation a bit on these videos. And this is something that I went through you know, very strongly. That's why I'm talking about this and that's why I think this is such a big deal. And you know, if I started to talk about things, I would immediately see like, you know, the eyes glaze over. And I think for a lot of years, she would listen. And I thought that meant that she was understanding or just agreeing. And she would just sort of nod her head and say, yeah. But that's why I said, I think it's really important that somebody talks back. Like this isn't a podcast. I'm not, this is my romantic relationship. I'm not just delivering a lecture to her. I would like to hear something back, questions or thoughts of her own, right? But I often didn't hear that. And then as time went on and our lives got busier and busier, it became more and more apparent that I exhausted her in this area. So it wasn't just that she could tolerate it. It was that she didn't like it. And I was exhausting. And she even said that uh, multiple times. She, she was a kind of a very direct person. Um, so I think over time, I developed this self-consciousness in this area and even today, so the person that I'm with now, she's trying to break me of this because she's very intelligent and loves to talk about things, right? We talk about stuff hours a day. It's great. You know, we'll just sit on the couch at night and like dive into all kinds of interesting topics. It's like really like kind of a dream come true for me. To be honest, I wonder if a lot of these videos come from the discussions that we have because we talk about all this stuff and it kind of helps me to formulate ideas and come to these conclusions and then I just make videos about the things that we talk about. But one of the things that she's trying to kind of break me of is sometimes I'll start a thought and then I'll be like, oh yeah, but you know, you probably don't care about this. Like this is too random of an idea. And now she just like looks at me and she's like, can you please stop assuming that I don't want to hear what you have to say when you haven't even said it yet? And so it's this issue for me where I have to trust that she wants to hear what I have to say. And I think I'm getting better at it. But again, it goes back to that validation thing, right? We need somebody who says, wow, I really like your ideas. That was really interesting. I really enjoyed that conversation. Wow, that really brought us together. If you have people that can validate you that way, then you can open up more. And so it's you know, relationships are so tricky that way. You know, it's sort of like a flower is what it is. You open up a little bit and, if, you know, everything's fine. Then you open up more and you open up more and you open up more until one day you're this, like, open, flourishing flower. But, you know, in the very beginning, if you start to open and then, like, you know, a thunderstorm shows up, you're like, you just close up again. So... That's where the acceptance and trust comes in. You know, as you open up, that takes trust. And that, you know, sometimes trust comes from being validated a little bit so that you know they're into it. 
So number four of what an INFJ should be looking for in a romantic partner should be somebody who doesn't mind being psychoanalyzed now and then. INFJs are naturally inquisitive people. We want to hear other people's thoughts and feelings. We have extroverted feeling as our second function. So if somebody is really emotionally closed off, that can be a little bit uncomfortable for us. Like We want to know their feelings so we can feel them with them. We want to make sure they're happy. We want to give good experiences to people. Um, it's almost like the, the basis of emotional intimacy is the sharing of feelings and this sort of deep connection. So some people just really have a really hard time with that, or they're basically incapable, and they're just like emotionally closed off. If you end up with a person like that, it's, it's sort of like to the INFJ, it's sort of like driving a wedge into that relationship. Here's this person that won't open up, and what, what can happen is the INFJ will go into a mode of trying to extract that information. And if this person closes off further, they almost take it as a sign of being interrogated. So I, I've lived this exact scenario. Um, my past marriage, I was married to an ESTJ. So if there was a problem or something that I felt like we needed to address, it could take me weeks of constant discussion to really isolate what she was feeling. You know, there's all this stuff that was coming out, kind of like evidence to suggest what she might be feeling. And when I would try to drill down to try to discover that so that I could, you know, discover the feeling and then hopefully address it. She took it as interrogating. And that was often the words that she would use, like, why are you interrogating me? And I would try to explain, I'm not trying to interrogate. I'm actually trying to get to the root of this issue. I'm trying to find out, how do you feel about this? What, what are you thinking, right? And it's interesting that me in my inquisitive nature was basically interrogating to her. It was offensive what I was doing. But the problem is, if I allowed her to continue in that to this emotionally closed off state, it just feels like there's a wedge driven into the relationship. So really the only choice for me is to, to go through this very time-consuming, almost agonizing process constantly to try to get inside, to try to crack the like the, the nut, right? To get inside, to actually build that connection. Another problem with this is sometimes you will sense a feeling in somebody else. You know, we have extroverted feeling. We're quite good at that, INFJs. We're quite good at reading the room, reading people's emotions. So, you know, sometimes it's like plain as day. You can read it right on their face how this person's feeling. And so you're like, well, I can tell you're feeling a little uncomfortable right now. Is that because of blah, blah, blah? And they're like, I'm not uncomfortable. And it's almost like they will deny the thing that is obvious. And that is awful in a relationship context with an INFJ because it almost starts to feel like gaslighting. It's like, well, I know you're feeling this. And they're like, no, I'm not. I'm not feeling that. And then you're like, well, clearly there's this issue because of X, Y, and Z. But they just won't admit it. What INFJs really need is somebody that doesn't mind, you know, us asking questions about their feelings and digging into that a little bit. And ideally, somebody who likes it as much as we do, because we really like that. Um, we really want to connect with people deeply and know their feelings and, yeah. So INTJs, not to pick on them. I know I do pick on them sometimes, probably because I had this best friend for 20 years, INTJ. And I... It, 
there's this underlying frustration in our relationship. At, at times it was amazing, right? Because intellectual connection was great, but there's this underlying frustration and his complete inability to open up emotionally. And it was to the point, it was such a immature level of emotional connection that if I did try to dig at all, he would lose it and get really upset and then almost make me feel like the bad guy, right? For doing something that I feel like I need and on, on a basic level for a relationship. And so that's why it's better just to avoid that. If you're gonna have a romantic relationship, find somebody who wants that too, who doesn't mind being psychoanalyzed and you can ask them questions about their feelings. You know, of course, not everybody will like it all the time. And sometimes people will be defensive. And, you know, I'm defensive. If somebody, you know, if somebody tries to, you know, ask how I'm feeling, I don't even know sometimes. But I want to be open enough to work through that with somebody. So I think it's also important to find somebody who can do the same back. So number five kind of builds on the last thing. But it's somebody who makes the relationship a priority. Somebody who wants a deep relationship, a close connection. I think it's really important for an INFJ. Some people don't want it. Or, or it's almost like they have this definition of a relationship that by our definition is weak. So this, going back, like one of the first videos I ever made a while ago was that birds and the fish video. I called it the deepness divide. It was describing this problem. So here's the bird way up in the sky, and they might come down to the ocean, and here's the fish. So when the bird comes down like to the surface of the water, they're at like the lower end of their environment. They think they're pretty deep. They might even dive under the water for a second like you know some birds do, and then they're really deep. They're feeling uncomfortable. Meanwhile, the fish is at the top of their environment, so they don't even feel deep yet, right? So you need somebody who wants the same level of relationship as you. Um, either the bird has to come down to where you're at or the fish has to come up or maybe you know like the deep dwelling fish shouldn't get together with that high flying bird. I think the problem is sometimes we might be attracted to what is sort of the opposite of us. It's like wow like I wish I could be like that person. Uh, look at how like outgoing and friendly and like they're the life of the party, right? It's like, wow, that's cool. I kind of want that in my life. So we end up with these, I, I wonder sometimes this whole opposites attract thing. It's almost like our biology. This is one of my theories. Our biology is attracted to the opposite, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's good for the relationship. What we really need is somebody who wants to prioritize the relationship. There's lots of people who want to prioritize other things, their job, their hobbies, and they kind of have this relationship on the side. I think to an INFJ, we don't want that. We want somebody who prioritizes that relationship, somebody who takes the relationship as seriously as we do. And by that, I don't mean somebody who thinks they're taking it seriously, because even by their definition, it might not be serious enough. So somebody who has a similar def, maybe, maybe a better way to say this is somebody who has a similar definition of what a relationship is. I notice there's lots of different definitions out there. So number six is authenticity. And by this, I mean we need people in our lives that are consistent, logically sound. They're not contradicting themselves. They're not like, you know, not making sense, I guess. And, and how do you find that? Like what kind of a person sort of meets those characteristics? I think it's somebody who has like a strong identity. They like know who they are. 
they're not really wavering off that. You know, they're not afraid to be who they are. I think that's a big thing. A lot of people are afraid to be who they really are, and instead they're putting on this act for everybody else. And it kind of creates this kind of hypocritical environment. I think we want to stay away from people like that and you know, stick to authentic people. Number seven is progress. I think this is more important than most people realize. INFJs are very goal-oriented people. We're always working towards some ideal in, in everything. It could be our work, our lives, you know, it could be our relationships. We, we want things to be continually improving and sort of following this course that we've set out. So if we end up with another person like that who kind of enjoys this same progress, I think that can be really great for us. And with INFJs, it's almost like our anxiety is lessened as we're working towards our goal. It's somewhere like, if I have a really good day working or I get a whole bunch of things done, those are the days I feel really good. If I, if I sit around and I feel like I'm, I'm not progressing towards my goal, I feel quite uncomfortable, like I haven't accomplished anything that day and it makes me feel lazy and I, it gives me anxiety. I've noticed that other people, other personalities, it's almost flipped. They find their control and that's, that's where they feel safe. And it's almost like moving into uncharted territory is where their anxiety comes from. So if you end up with a person who is extremely routine, very structured, very resistant to change, you know, you gotta work on them for months to even accept the semblance of a new idea. That can be quite exhausting, I think, to us. Does it work? I think you can make it work, especially if a person wants it. Like, let's say their nature is to resist change, but, you know, they're, they're willing to try. They're like, I think that's more important than anything. This person is willing to change. They want to change along with you. But sometimes you'll get these people that almost, they're terrified of it, right? And so, you know, going back to my previous marriage, I mean, I, should I keep bringing up this example? The thing is, we are talking about romantic relationships, and I feel like a lot went wrong in that relationship, so I've got a lot of good examples from it. But, so here, she was very control-based, and here I am very progress-based. And I always knew that it was my job to break her out of routines. And it was, you know, she would get stuck in these things that, you know, it's like, there's a better way to do this now. Very difficult to break her out of those routines. But, you know, I did it. But it was always a source of stress. Um, it would take weeks or months to really to make any progress in those areas, I guess. And so this all kind of goes back to that question. It's like, is it better to be with somebody who is like you, similar to you, or is it better to be somebody who is kind of opposite to you? The control-based people have their own strengths, right? They might set up these systems and routines that you can continually follow. And if, if it's a good system or a good routine, it can be quite easy, right? It can sort of streamline your life a little bit, especially if this person has sort of similar goals as you. But if that person is so rigid that they just never change and never progress, things start to feel stagnant, which makes INFJs uncomfortable, especially if the relationship starts to feel stagnant. So that's why I think it's important to find somebody who isn't too rigid that way. So number eight is good physical sexual intimacy. So I don't really know this for sure because, I mean, oftentimes it's a little hard to talk about these issues with most people and a lot of people don't like to talk about this stuff. But it seems to me that most INFJs are quite sexual. 
and they really value sexual intimacy as almost like a validator for a healthy relationship is what I've noticed. Um, and it, I don't know if other types are less serious about this, but I think for INFJs, we need good sexual intimacy to really feel like we even have a good romantic relationship. And I think that the extroverted feeling is a big part of this. We want to give people good experiences. We want to give sexual experiences. We want to make this person satisfied. We want to, them to feel happy. And I kind of wonder if the best sexual relationship would be two people that are like that, very focused on the other person. They're both trying to make each other feel good. It seems like with INFJs, if they're having bad sex or lack of sex, it, it seems to be an indicator that the relationship is suffering. So I think most INFJs want to have sex because naturally. It's like it's sort of part of the relationship. So if you kind of end up in a relationship where somebody doesn't value that then uh, the same way that you do, I think that can create problems. I mean, this is kind of an awkward topic to talk about. And, you know, I could give examples and things that I've learned about this, but maybe it's not really that appropriate. I'm not sure. But in general, I think what I'd like to say about this is that INFJs appreciate and value good sexual intimacy. I think if two people kind of approach a sexual relationship in that way, it can be quite amazing, especially the INFJ who enjoys progress, new experiences, experiencing new things, not, not keeping things routine-based and stagnant. So number nine, I will call sort of congruent goals. You really don't want to end up with somebody that has goals or passions that kind of offend your goals or, or your personal values. So what do I mean by that? Let's say you as a person really do not like multi-level marketing, network marketing. Um, those of you who don't like it will know exactly what I'm talking about when I say that. Some people might have no problem with it. If you now meet up with a person who starts doing multi-level marketing, network marketing, and makes it their goal and passion in life, that's, that's going to create a bit of a friction in the relationship because, you know, you've got opposite goals, something that you have this value and you don't like something, but then that's this person's passion. So an example, let's say you are a vegan and an animal rights activist, and you're with somebody who it's their main goal and passion in life to run their own meat packaging plant, not just work at one and, you know, use, treat it as a job, but that's their passion is they want to run their own. They want to start their own meat packaging plant. So you've got this person who is basically moving off in a different direction than you are. So incompatible goals, I swear, has to be one of the biggest ways that relationships break down. You know, it's, it's a bit of a dangerous thing in a way, relationships, because you, you might start off a relationship with congruent goals, especially if you're young and you haven't really figured it out yet. And as time goes on, if both people in the relationship are kind of working towards similar goals or at least goals that the other person supports, it's so much, so much more healthy. You know, if one person is moving towards a goal that the other person really doesn't like or it goes against their values, you kind of end up in this situation where people, they're moving in different directions. And like, you can only do that so long until the relationship is, again, it's like a giant wedge that gets stuck in between those two people. And if you're in a situation where you are moving away from somebody else because of their goals and passions, 
I think that is probably one of the most awkward problems. It's, it's something else that I've experienced in my past marriage. So, you know, as, you know, like, what do you do if you have similar values, but then, you know, the values start to change? You have to find a way to make that work. Again, that comes back to communication and really hashing out these issues and making some boundaries. And you know, you might need to make some compromises on what your goals are. Like this, this goal does not align with this other person. You can't just keep going in that direction. You have to compromise. I personally feel it's better not to compromise though. Like if you're starting from scratch and you're finding somebody, find somebody who is likely to have some similar goals, then you don't need to compromise. So number 10 is freedom. I think it's really important for INFJs to have a sense of freedom, to not be controlled, to not feel like somebody is controlling them and forcing them to do things, especially if they're forcing them to do things that don't make sense, things that they don't want to do. So therefore, in a romantic relationship, I think it's really important if you have a romantic partner that realizes that about you and that lets you find your own path, doesn't force you into things, doesn't try to make you conform. Um, I think that can be really unhealthy. So the problem with this is that certain personalities are very control-based, very controlling. They might have a strict adherence to culture or the way that things should be or the way that things should be done. That's introverted sensing, by the way. So people that are really strong in introverted sensing, which is the first column personalities, I call them, which are the guardians, also called the guardians. A very strong introverted sensing. That means they have this idea of the way that things should be or the way that things should be done. These people sometimes can become a little overbearing to INFJs, and not all the time. Um, I think like ESFJs and ISFJs can be a little better because they have extroverted feelings, so they kind of you know, know when to stop, or they, they also want social harmony, so they kind of want people to feel good. But they also have this introverted sensing component, right? Which, so for example, my dad, he's an ISFJ. He has this very strong sense of what works, the, what has worked in the past, and therefore what will work in the future. So if these first column personalities become overbearing, let's say you have a controlling parent or a controlling spouse, and in romantic relationships, you really don't want, like, especially if you have somebody that knows the way that things are happening, this is what's going on, this is what we're doing today, we're doing this, and then this, and then this, and then, and like, let's say you don't really want to do that stuff, and now you don't have the freedom to kind of exist in your your own way, that can become, I think, depressing for an INFJ if this goes on long enough. So I think it's really important that you find somebody that gives you the freedom to be yourself, to let you find your own path and kind of exist with somebody without, you know, controlling each other. I think at our core INFJs, we don't want to control other people, but we don't want them to control us either. So number 11 is emotional intelligence. And this might be overlap a little bit with what I've talked about so far. But emotional intelligence in a partner for an INFJ is, I think, vitally important. You really want to be with somebody that is emotionally aware enough to understand when you are doing good or you are doing poorly. So what do I mean by that? Let's say you're having a bad day as an INFJ. You're depressed and... If this other person just doesn't even notice and doesn't ask you about it, doesn't inquire about it, it's very possible for an INFJ to kind of just bottle those things down and not talk about them because 
You know, especially if you're with a person with low emotional intelligence, they're not going to understand anyway, so why even talk about it? Best case scenario is when you're with somebody and like, let's say you're not doing well and they're like, oh, I noticed that something's bugging you. Like, what, what, what's wrong? And then you might be like, oh, I don't know, nothing, don't worry about it. But then here's this person that keeps trying to draw it out of you. Basically, that's what an INFJ does. So at this point in my life, I'm with another INFJ. And this, is, this has been a very interesting experience because in my past relationship, which, you know, I haven't had many relationships, right? My past relationship was an ESTJ. Somebody who was very, I don't want to, it might sound mean to say, but not very high emotional intelligence, did not recognize when I was doing poorly. I could be near suicidal depressed, and it's almost like she wouldn't notice. Or, or if she did, maybe it's just something that was so foreign of a concept that she couldn't even talk about it. So now I am with another INFJ and I could just be slightly off and she is on it. Like she's like, hmm, like what's, what's wrong? You're a little bit off. You know, you're, you said this or now you like, what's wrong? And I've noticed that sometimes it's, it's funny because sometimes I haven't even fully worked out like why I'm feeling a certain way, like what's wrong, like I just, I know I'm feeling off, but it's like, well, you know, what's up, right? And sometimes I don't even know, so I can't answer her question right off the bat. It's like I need to work through it. Um, this seems to be one of the interesting, it's a strength and it's also a weakness if you're with another INFJ. Because in some ways she needs me to open up my feelings and explain what's wrong, like what's going on, because she wants to work through those issues, just like I do. If I notice that something wrong with her, it's this funny thing, because now I have somebody who is doing that to me. And we've, we've had to work through a lot of these issues, because at the beginning, I'm like, oh, nothing, nothing wrong, because I'm used to saying that to people. Oh, what's, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing fine. Oh, like, what's wrong? Oh, nothing, nothing's wrong. And I've noticed at this point that if I say that to her, she knows something's wrong. And if I tell her that nothing's wrong, it goes back to that thing I was talking about before. It's almost like she might see that as a type of gaslighting. Like I'm trying now, I'm not validating her intuitive process at seeing that there's something wrong with, with me. I think that's sort of a funny thing about INFJs is that oftentimes we are more comfortable diagnosing other people's problems and feelings than we are diagnosing our own. And so if you end up with two INFJs in a relationship, which by the way, C.S. Joseph happens to say, is the worst possible pairing for an INFJ. He says it's like a recipe for disaster. And so here I am with another INFJ. So we've talked about this quite a bit. And I think the problem is we have similar weaknesses and similar blind spots. This, this creates its own problems. Um, but we also have similar strengths and similar values and similar things that we want. So in certain areas, it's absolutely incredible. We both crave this deep relationship. We both want deep emotional intimacy. We both want understanding, acceptance. We work towards these things. I mean, intellectual stimulation, she's, she's very smart and I respect her intellectually and she's a really good researcher and things like this. And she brings all these new ideas to me and I do the same to her. But it's funny because there are other blind spots, right? Like we have no problem 
sitting down and having a one-hour conversation about some random philosophical topic. But then when it really comes down to finances or, you know, oh, we got to, like, clean this house or we got to make dinner, you know, but all those things are examples of, like, coming back to real life, right? So neither of us are super strong at that. But it also gives us an opportunity to work on our weaknesses. Um, Like, for example, sometimes we'll just sit around and be like, what are we doing? I don't know. What do you want to do? Well, I don't know. What do you want to do? It's like we both want the other person to make a plan. And so again, it comes back to this thing. It's like, is it better to be with somebody who's opposite? Because now you both can do different things and you complement each other. I think if you look at a relationship more like a business relationship, you know, you both have different tasks and you both have different strengths and you complement each other's weaknesses, then I think that, yeah, that is true. I think that, you know, somebody who does different stuff than you works great if if you're looking at it like a business relationship. Like, and so at this point, this list that I just, just made, a lot of these things are fully ticked off within this relationship. And yeah, so do we still have misunderstandings? Yes. But what I've noticed is that we are very quick to identify the problems. And because we have such good communication, we identify those problems and usually fix them quite quickly. Usually the same day, by the next morning, you know, it's all over. And I think that's the biggest difference with this relationship for me compared to my past one was things would go on forever and they would never get resolved. And it could go on for months or even years. There was things that just were sort of off limits to talk about. All right, so now that I've said all of that in such great detail, how can I condense that down to some kind of soundbite or some kind of thing that you can take away from this? The people that I want to be with, it doesn't feel like work. The people that I should avoid, it feels hard. It feels like a lot of work. It's like issues never resolve. You know, you never, this person doesn't never understand you, so you're constantly trying to make them understand. You're, you want to be accepted, but they don't, or you don't feel accepted, so you're constantly trying to explain yourself to, to hopefully have them accept you. And in a way, those types of relationships, it's like you're just wasting all your energy explaining yourself all the time, trying to get, make this person get it. I, it seems like the best relationships don't have that. It, It doesn't feel like work. It's more about just enjoying this person. So do certain types work better with other types? It's possible. But I think for me, I think it's foolish to try to pick a partner based on their personality type. Because you've got all the way from unhealthy, like let's say you determine that you need an ENFP. And you've got all the way from like unhealthy ENFPs all the way up to like super healthy ENFPs. So even though an ENFP is, let's say, the perfect choice, according to C.S. Joseph or other people, you know, an unhealthy ENFP is still going to be a bad relationship. So on the flip side, you might find somebody that is technically the worst for you, according to, you know, personality theory. But this person's an extremely healthy, well-rounded person that really has great self-awareness. That could be a super high-quality relationship. Self-awareness and the ability to self-reflect is one of the most important human qualities. 
Can you as a person look at yourself and see yourself clearly? Can this other person that you're interested in look at themselves and see themselves, see their own weaknesses, see their strengths and understand that and respect your intuitive process when you might notice something in them? Those are the people I think that you really want to be with. These types of people I find are often quite kind. You know, if you go to a restaurant and this person like chews out, a, out the waiter for like no reason, like that's a red flag. I find another red flag is victim mentality. If somebody's always playing the victim, that's a red flag. I find that the best people, even if they are the victim, they're not really making it super obvious. It's not this like poor me attitude all the time. I've noticed that the best people seem to not take themselves so seriously. The most toxic people seem to take themselves seriously, have these huge egos. I don't know, it seems like the people that I like to be around the most, they realize the game that they exist in. A lot of people have forgot that this world is essentially just a giant game. Sort of like that person, you know, when you're, you're playing the, a board game with and it's almost like they forgot that it's a game and they're taking it too seriously and they're like, you know, they're almost getting upset and mad at everybody. And it's like, you know, whoa, like take, take a breath. This is just a game. I really do feel like life is almost like that as well and I feel like the best people realize that and as a result won't take themselves super seriously. So why am I talking about this? Because I think that it, it really matters. If you end up with the wrong person, it can just literally suck away your life. It can suck away all your mental energy, it can create depression, especially if you're an INFJ, because you're trying to progress and strive towards these ideal things, these goals that you have, and relationships are really important to us. And if you have somebody that will never let you do that, never understands you, never accepts you, I think it can be truly exhausting and it will, it will inhibit your progress in life. On the flip side, if you have somebody that supports you, loves you, accepts you, understands you, and again, it feels easy, it feels like less work, it gives you all this mental space to now work on your goals. Maybe you can start your business and work towards that and you, your mind is clear. It's not bogged down with all these relationship troubles. Yeah, so I hope that was helpful. I realize a lot of this is just my opinion. And I hope that it's not depressing for certain people if you're already in a relationship and now you're starting to realize that maybe it's not that great of a relationship. Um, I know how awful that is. I know how stressful that is. I went through that for years. And... You should try to fix the relationship. You should try to go through these things and try to use communication to try to build that relationship back. And if you can't, if this person will never change and you go to therapy and you work on these things and you come to the realization that this person is never going to change, it's never going to work, then I, I don't want to be the person who's almost encouraging people to split up because that's not what I'm doing. But I... I want to give you the permission to trust your own intuition. You don't have to stay in a relationship just because you thought it was the right thing at some other point in your life. Culture will tell you that you have to do that. I almost wonder if it's 
short-sighted to assume that you can make a decision when you're 23 years old that then is, you know, supposed to now govern your life for the rest of your life? It doesn't make sense. Some relationships will last and some won't. And the more healthy you are as an individual, the more you will be able to realize what a healthy relationship is so that you can find that relationship. A lot of people end up settling and then they realize later, this isn't working out. And then because of cultural pressures, religious pressures, they stay in these bad relationships. And I think really that is the ultimate tragedy. I don't want that for people. I want people to thrive. I want people to have clear heads and clear minds and not be bogged down by these relationship troubles all the time. That being said, even a good relationship will require work. So that's another side of it. Just because there's some work to do doesn't mean that you have a bad relationship. Anyway, guys, thanks for checking out the video. You know, like the video, subscribe if you haven't. All these things kind of help that YouTube algorithm. Also, just to let you know, all these videos I'm uploading as a podcast as well now. You can find the link to that in the description below. And if you want to leave me an audio question about any of these relationship topics, go to my website. There's a link in the description below for that as well. You can leave an audio question and every once in a while I go through those audio questions and make a video answering the questions. So thanks for checking it out and uh, hope you have a great day. See ya.